come now to the scripture and to pray. Let me share something with you before I pray. And uh, that is that our dear Emma Sweat and Steve lost their baby last night. Um, And uh, so we need to pray for them. Uh, I announce it now, not at the end, um, in part so that it brings to us a real sense of what it means to live together even as we worship and even as we declare God to be good and wise and loving and even as we come with all the stuff we come with and difficulties of life um, to come to the scripture and trust that in the midst of real life God will speak to us and will minister to those most hurting. And so as we come to the scripture, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, uh, we pray that you would be present with these, most especially this morning, that we love Emma and Steve and, and their respective families. Father, we can only imagine the grief they feel and confusion and shock. God, you know in this mysterious way what it is to lose a son. Lord Jesus, you know our frame and thus we trust that you can sympathize with Steve and Emma in their weakness and in their difficulty and to help them. And thus we pray that you would grant to them this grace and help in their time of need and us as well as we share this life with them and with one another. Now God, I pray as we come to your word, we would Receive from it uh, a good word, a word that brings hope to us in the midst of the realities of the world in which we live. In this I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to Luke and chapter 1. Luke and chapter 1, please. I want to read verses 46 through 55. Luke and chapter 1, please. Hear the word of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What I want to do, if God will help me through this Advent season, is to take up this passage of scripture known as the Magnificat. It's known that way because of the Latin version, the Latin translation, Magnificat, magnify, first word in the Latin translation, the Latin version. But, but, but it's, it's, it's known, you see, as, as this song of, of, of Mary. Uh, there are other songs in, in Luke's gospel that, that come up. Uh, Zechariah has what we call a song, this prophecy that's uh, in some verses to follow. Then this old man, uh, Simeon, has a, a brief song in chapter 2 as well as he sees Jesus being uh, at the temple and, 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 uh, and when he's just a child. And, and so these songs, we may listen to those songs as well as we work our way through, through this one. But what I want to do is to take up this particular, um, this particular song of, of Mary. It, it comes, of course, after she knows what's going on a bit. She's been visited by the angel, as I read a few moments ago. Uh, she's been visited by the angel Gabriel. She knows that she carries within her this child, the very son of God. She knows that this conception comes uh, by way of the Holy Spirit, not by way of being intimate with Joseph. She knows that she hasn't been. And, and thus, this is, uh, if you will, a shock uh, to, to know that here she is with child comes by way of the Holy Spirit. And so so here is Mary. She knows that she's, she's visited uh, with uh, Elizabeth, her cousin, and and Elizabeth has, has spoken to her about the honor that this is to be, uh, as Elizabeth puts it, the mother of my Lord. And, and she says, you will be blessed and you are blessed in this. Uh, so she knows all of that. And, and what interests me uh, during this Advent season as I come to this, this passage is to, to see really how Mary responds to this. Not, not simply the fact that she's been chosen by God for this, this great uh, privilege of of bearing, if you will, Jesus, uh, the very Son of God, but also as she comes to grips with the fact that all the promises that God had made concerning this one who was to come are now being fulfilled, not simply by way of her, but but being fulfilled. And she would know that this one who is to come is the hope of Israel, this one is to come who is the hope of the world, this one who is to come is, is the Savior even as, as she puts it. And again, what attracts me is how does she respond? Well, she responds in praise. You'll notice in verses 46 and 47, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What she wants to do, what she's overwhelmed, if you will, to do, com- sort of, um, uh, it's a compulsion in her to do this, is to, to magnify the Lord, and, and that's a wonderful word, obviously. It's in the scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But, but it's a wonderful, helpful word to us to, to magnify the Lord. Because what she's saying is, in my praise, as I rejoice in God my Savior, in my praise, what I want to do is to enable you to see God. You see, when, when, when something is magnified, it's magnified so that we can see it. If, if it isn't magnified, we can't. See it. That's the need for 
magnification. Now, what Mary is doing, as we've said before, as we've considered this word magnify, what Mary is doing is magnifying the Lord, not as a, as a magnifying glass magnifies, but as a telescope magnifies. See, a magnifying glass or a microscope takes something that's very small that we can't see and makes it bigger to our eye than it really is so that we can see it. It magnifies it in that sense. But a telescope takes that which is very far away that we cannot see, though it may be very big and enables us to see it as it is. We can see the majesty, if you will, of the stars when they're magnified in that way. We can see them as big, if you will, as they are. And so what Mary wants to do here is to magnify the Lord, that is to show us how great he is, how big he is, we could say it that way, how glorious he is. And so she wants, by way of her praise, to magnify him. And, and that really, you see, is where I want to be myself. I want to be one who is able, by way of life, by way of my own praise of God, to magnify him so that others can see him and see how great he is, how majestic he is, how big he is. And, and, and this, you see, during this time of incarnation, during this time we call Christmas, as we think about these things, as we think most specifically about God with us by way of Jesus, Jesus coming the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, as the Apostle John puts it. We want to magnify him. We want people to see how great God is through us. So she comes to do that. She comes to, to magnify him. God isn't small, but he's invisible to magnify him so that he can be seen. And what does she see? Well, she sees that the Lord is her Savior her rescuer, her deliverer. She, she needs this in her own life. She, she knows that this honor that she has to carry this son of God is one of which she's unworthy. I mean, she's just humble. She says in her humble estate, she's, she's poor, best we know about Mary. She's a poor peasant girl, really, in that sense. Um, so she, she, she isn't well-known. She doesn't have a a large reputation, if you will, amongst people. She's just a, a regular young woman, if you will, a humble estate. And so she knows she, she isn't anything in herself to, to, to qualify for this from social standing. But not only that, she knows herself to, to be a sinner because she needs a savior. She needs someone to come and to save her. Thus, she's unworthy of this honor. When, when she heard Elizabeth say, what honor do I have to, to receive the mother of my Lord. You can only imagine how overwhelming that expression would have been to her to think that's me she's talking about, the mother of the Lord. How, how is it that I can carry this, this very one? And, and so she desires now uh, to magnify him, to show him to be great and not herself. She fears him. She fears him. She needs his mercy. And, and she knows that he is God and that she is not, that he is holy and that she isn't. And, and so she comes now to worship him, to Praise him for who he is, to give him thanks for what he's doing. And to humbly submit to him in joyful obedience to, to carry this, this child. 
And what I want to think about this morning is just these last two verses of this song, verses 54 and 55. We'll, we'll take up the other ones as the weeks go on. But this one fits these verses with this day of this prophet candle that all was foretold of this one who was to come. Because you see, the reason that Mary could sing this song was because she knew the scripture. This is just, just filled with, with biblical themes and, and phrases. She knew the scripture, and, and this she knows to be true as well. Verse 54, he that is God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. She, she knows that this very one that she is carrying, this very one conceived in her, this son of God, is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. That is what, what Abraham knew by way of blessing and by way of faith now is coming to fruition. And you see, what Abraham knew by faith and had received by faith from God was righteousness. You might remember in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, the scripture says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteousness. Abraham knew that he wasn't righteous in himself. That is to say, he knew that he hadn't uh, met the moral, the perfect standard of God. He wasn't righteous. But he trusted in the promise of God. And God says, that faith then draws you to me. And I count you, I declare you to be right, righteous in my sight. That's what Abraham knew. And it came by faith. That is to say, he was trusting that God would do that for him. He could not do it for himself. It wasn't from himself, but yet from God. Abraham knew that. And you see, this, this promise that was to Abraham was also to come through Abraham. For instance, in Genesis in chapter 12, when God first comes upon Abraham, he says uh, this to him. He says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, his name was later changed to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As if you've been reading through the scripture, this would be a, a great bells and whistles passage for you because you would have remembered an earlier promise of God. You see, the difficulty, the reason that there needs to be reconciliation between human beings and God is because of sin. You know this. In, in Genesis chapter 3, we find this sin taking place this rebellion of Adam and Eve against God. God says you can eat of every tree except this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It says by eating of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it isn't that the fruit was poisonous necessarily or any of that. But he says by doing this, by doing what I forbid, what you're saying is that you're rebelling from me. What you're saying is that you're going to be the one who defines what is good and what is evil and not God. You see, God says, I'm the one who gets to declare what's good and evil. I've made all of this and it's good because it reflects me. If you eat of this tree, what you're saying is that I don't know what I'm talking about. 
If you eat of this tree, what you're saying, I want to go my own way. If you eat of this tree, what you're saying is that you're going to be the one to define that which is right and wrong, good and evil, lawful and unlawful. And, and so you're going to go your own way. They ate of this tree. And then so eating of that tree broke this relationship between human beings and God. In fact, came under his wrath, his condemnation. And so for righteousness to be restored, for them to be reconciled to God, for a right relationship to happen, forgiveness must take place. They must be forgiven of their sins. And God said for forgiveness to take place, you see, uh, there must be death. Because the wages of that sin is, is taking away of life. It's death. And so, so, God makes this promise, and he, he makes this promise in Genesis chapter 3. He says, now, I'm going to send one from the seed of the woman, who be a man from the seed of the woman, who will crush the head of the serpent, that is, destroy the evil one, and destroy, banish evil, if you will, from the face of the earth. So I'm going to send one to do that. And so you've been, we've been reading, you've been reading through from Genesis 3, wondering who's that going to be and various ones named it. Oh, isn't that one? And finally we get to this point through Abraham. He says, well, it's going to come through you, Abraham, and he's going to come from your seed. And he's going to bless all of the families, all of the nations of the earth. And so then as we read through the scripture, we're, we're seeing how in this Old Testament context, how God's going to deal with with sin, it's going to be through signs and through, through symbols. Uh, he's going to, to, to uh, uh, show that he can deal with his sin. He, he deals with it through sacrifice. That is, he said, I'm gonna, not going to kill you, but I'm going to kill a substitute, another one, an animal who will come in your place. And he says, listen, for you to be forgiven your sins, they must be paid for. And one will come who will pay for your sin. This animal will suffice now and to be in my presence is so you need to be cleansed you need to be righteous and so these priests i will count in your place as righteous for now but one who will come who will be the righteous one the sinless one who will stand before me in your place he would give them a tabernacle later a temple and say i'm going to live in your presence one would come who would be Emmanuel, God with us, God in our very presence. He said, I'll bring kings, and, and these kings will, will, are to rule righteously. One eventually will come, he'll sit on the throne of David, he'll be the righteous ruler, and he will rule and reign in righteousness forever. Endeavor. I'll bring prophets and they'll, they'll speak the truth to you so you'll know what truth is and, and one will eventually come and he will be the one who is truth. And he is the one who is to come. Mary would know because she would know the scripture that the one whom she carried, the one conceived in her, was that sacrifice, that priest, that temple, that king that prophet the very son of God and she said you've got to see this you've got to know this you've got to realize what's happening 
in the midst of this moment. I must magnify the Lord. I must sing of him as God, my, my Savior. But there's something else here as well that Mary was quite attuned to. We see it not only in what was taking place, but how it was taking place. And by that I mean this. You'll notice that she says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now that little word remembrance, and we've spoken of this before, that little word remembrance and remembering, when God remembers, what it means is that he acts, that he fulfills his promises. Now, why that is so important is that covenant people live by way of promise. The Old Testament people, even the New Testament people, are, were our covenant people. In the Old Testament, they were, they were part of this covenant of God. And we said before, the covenant is that word that God uses to describe how he relates to his people. It's, it's the arrangement that God makes in dealing with his people. For instance, we might say that marriage is a covenant. What that means is there's a way that husbands and wives relate to one another. Husbands and wives are related to each other, and that's called marriage. So when someone says marriage, at least we used to know what that meant. We know how a man and a woman are supposed to relate to one another in this relationship. That's a covenant. When we speak of the covenant that God has made with Abraham or Moses or through Jesus, that's the way God relates to his people covenant people live by way and of promise god binds himself to promises when he makes a covenant now what is disturbing to us distracting to us unnerving to us is that there is a time lag between when god makes the promise and when he fulfills it And that can drive us to distraction. The, the psalmists often wrote of that. They, they often would plead with God and they would use this expression. They would say, God, why are you hiding yourself from us? Why have you forgotten us? That is to say, they were pleading with him to remember his promises. Because if this is what you've promised. This is what we're experiencing. The two don't add up. We trust you. But when is this going to happen? For instance, in Psalm 10, the psalmist writes, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? And then Psalm number 13, David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David would say, God, didn't you say that, 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 that you were going to defeat my enemies? But yet here they are and they're winning. So what's up with that? And so the distressing, the disturbing, the discouraging, the frustrating, the unnerving parts of these promises of God, living in these promises, is we must live by faith. Because we don't always see their fulfillment, their immediate fulfillment. In fact, those who lived in the old covenant, Abraham and all the fathers, as we could put it, never got to see the end result of what they had been promised while they were alive. And Mary says, we're now beginning to see it. You've got to see this. 
I need to make this big for you. I need to rejoice in God who is our Savior. He's come. Look at Him. For instance, the author of Hebrews puts it like this of all these great fathers and mothers in the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For the people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This chapter of Hebrews 11 ends like this. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And that was certainly true for these Old Testament saints and the promises that God had given them. God said to Abraham, I'll give you a son. It took 25 years. And Abraham was old when that promise was made. And it took 25 years after that before Isaac came. And they had that great problem with Hagar and Ishmael, as you may remember, in the midst of it. God had promised them a land, but there was a great famine. God had promised them a land, and they were in slavery for 400 years. God had promised them a land, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God had promised them a land, and yet they were exiled from it time and time again. And we wonder, God, when will you fulfill those promises? Now, they had glimpses. They had glimpses that, that God would fulfill those problem, promises. Yes, the, the promise to Abraham, you will have a son. Isaac did come. Yes, there was famine in the land, but eventually Joseph was raised up to alleviate that famine. And, and yes, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but God raised up Moses to deliver them. And yes, they did wander in the wilderness for 40 years, but, but Joshua came and led them into the land. And yes, they had been exiled various times from that land, but, but God always brought them back. And so we see, yes, God is faithful to his promises, but it may take time before those promises are are fulfilled. And now Mary looks at this one that is within her and realizes that this promise is being fulfilled. It gives her great hope, hope for righteousness for herself and her people, hope for righteousness for the world, hope that all of God's promises will be fulfilled so she rejoices in God her Savior. Now the question for us is this, how does this inform our lives? How does this really inform our lives? This incarnation. Can we do what Mary did? Can, can we magnify the Lord? Do we rejoice in God, our Savior? And do we say, yes, this is it. This is all that matters. I want everybody to see this because this is more than we could have ever thought or, or imagined this one who, who is to come because you realize we're the very beneficiaries of this, most of us. Certainly Jews, Israel, Israelites, beneficiaries of this because you see there could be no forgiveness of sins without Jesus. Even in the Old Testament context as animals were being slain, their blood, the blood of those bulls and goats as the scripture says, didn't bring the forgiveness of sins. It pointed that there is forgiveness of sins. Trust 
that there is forgiveness of sins. But if Jesus hadn't come, the blood of those bulls and goats would have been worthless, useless. But because Jesus came, then his blood was that very blood that, that, that the bloods of bulls and goats was, was looking forward to. And now that he's come, ah, oh, yes, forgiveness. It's real, it's true. But for us also, do you realize, do I realize that I was in, you as a believer were in, this very promise to Abraham. That when God said to Abraham, through you, in you, by your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And that included you. And we say, wow, how that happened. We're actually... Descendants, all believers, Jew and Gentile alike, if you will, of Abraham. In the book of Romans, in chapter 4, we read this, verse 9. Is this blessing, that is the blessing of righteousness that comes by faith, being reconciled to God, being right with him. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, that is for those who were raised in the Jewish religion, culture, but also for the uncircumcised, those who are not. We see that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, that is, of those born into the law. who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. All believers are heirs to the promise to Abraham that there is a righteousness that comes by faith. And Mary was seeing this, and we should consider this as we think of the incarnation. It's come. It's really come, this righteousness by faith. In fact, in the book of Galatians, Paul expands on this like this in chapter 3. In verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, we were in that promise. All of those promises of him who is to come are fulfilled even in us who believe. And thus there is a righteousness that comes by faith that we're made right with God. And we get, I think, rather used to that. And we forget the great blessing. We forget the miracle. We forget our utter lostness. We forget our need of savior, rescuer, deliverer. And thus, we fail to magnify the Lord and say with our lips and our lives, he is 
great. You've got to see him. But you see, it's important for us in the midst of the lives in which we live. It's important for us to know that the promise of God has not come yet in its fullness. Oh, yes, it's come in Christ. In fact, uh, Paul writes to the church in in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, in in chapter 1, in verse 20, he says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In other words, every promise that God has made is guaranteed in Christ. And that's the very point. That's what Mary's seeing in this one who is born within her. She, She realizes, yes, of course, God is faithful to his promises. Look. The one he always promised is now, is now coming, is now in me, will be here among us. This, this promise of God. Yes, of course, he's good for all of his promises. We can trust him. It may take 10 years. It may take 20 years. It may take 1,000 years. It may take 4,000 years. But, 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 but he is trustworthy. You, you, can, you can really, really trust him. Jesus is the guarantee, the tangible expression of the promise of God. Yes, we look to him and we should take comfort to know that all the promises are true. Is there forgiveness of sins? Yes. Why? Because of Jesus, he's come. Uh, is, is there help from God? Can we pray and, and he will hear us and help us? Yes. Why? Because Christ has come and he rules and reigns and he intercedes for us all the time. We know that to be true. But we, we look to this event of the incarnation, the coming of Jesus, and we go, yes. It's really, really true. And even when we experience the difficulties and the sadness and the grief of real life, what is our hope? Our hope that God forgives our sins. Our hope that he accepts us into his family. He declares us to be right, righteous in his sight. There is help for us. And the day will come when there'll be no grief. And there'll be no sadness. And evil will be banished from the face of the earth. That there'll be no injustice. That there'll be no poverty. There will be no illness. There will be no disease. There will be no disability. There will be no death. There will be no sadness. There will be no grief. Everything will be right. And yet we got up in the morning and we feel pain. We get up in the morning and we're insecure. We get up in the morning and we have fear. We get up in the morning and there's worry. We get up in the morning and we see injustice. We get up in the morning and we see poverty. We get up in the morning and we see need. And yes, we are to rally around and work by way of the empowering spirit of God and the wisdom of his word to to deal with all of that. We know that a day will come. And how will we know that? Because we know that God is faithful to his promises. And how do we know that? We know that because Jesus has come. Mary didn't know this verse. But she knew the logic of it. 
That verse comes from Romans in chapter 8. We know it. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also, along with him, give us all things? See, the hope that Mary had, the logic that sprung up within her that says we must magnify the Lord, we can, we can really trust him here, that he will do the work that he has promised, that he will bring righteousness to the earth, that he will make us right with God, that he will bring forgiveness of sins, that he will cleanse the land from evil. Knowing all of that, she could say, because look, he's coming He's here. He made the promise and look. In the same way the apostle writes to us. Don't you realize, think it through, that if he didn't spare his own son, that if he really did give him up, why will he keep anything else from us? He's done this. Trust him. He's done this. Trust him. He's made this promise. You long for its fulfillment. Trust him. On what basis? Because look at what he's already done. Look at the promise. He's already fulfilled. And for us, this side of the incarnation, he's fulfilled the big one. I must say, I, in my prayers from time to time, I give thanks that I was born this side of the cross. When I read of the Old Testament fathers and mothers who went before us, I often shake my head and say, oh, you had it so much more difficult than we. I mean, you had to bring this animal and trust that your sins would be forgiven when it was killed. You had this law to obey and trust that God was living amongst you as you obeyed this law. And I think, We have Jesus. And what we must learn to do is magnify him. Not to make him big, but to make him visible. By our praise, by the attitude of our own hearts, and by the way that we live, contented in him, forgiven by him, trusting in him. Mary would say, you've got to believe, look, he's coming. The apostle would say, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him give us everything? The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread after giving thanks, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples in essence said, this is why I've come. This is my body which is given for you. In the same way, he took the cup. And again, after giving thanks, he gave this to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, The apostle says, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you declare the Lord's death 
until he comes. And so we come to this table, and in our coming, it's a declaration that Christ has died, and through his death, there is forgiveness of sins, that God's promise is true, that there is righteousness, this declaration that he justifies us in his sight. And that's great. That's our only hope. (laughs) That's life to us. If this isn't true, we haven't anything. And now it's ours, you see. In our coming, in our worship, in our praise, in our lives. To show him that he might be seen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for us. On this morning, right now, that you would enable us to see it, to experience it, to know it, to believe it, to rejoice in God our Savior. That in our coming, you would be magnified. And in our lives, you would be magnified. So, Lord Jesus, meet us here, even as we come. Give us assurance of forgiveness of sins. Give us assurance of your presence with us by your Spirit. Give us assurance that you are ruling and reigning righteously over all things. Give us assurance that a day will come when you will return. And all will be right, for you will banish evil from the face of the earth. Enable us to know that because you've come, that all of the promises which God has made are yes, are guaranteed. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I